Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Let's say our prayer together, and then we will we'll get our time here in the Word started. Lord, again, we thank you for today. God, thank you for your presence. God, thank you for your Word. God, we pray over the next few minutes that you would speak to our hearts, you would speak to our mind. Lord, I know today, just from conversations that I've had this morning, there are people in our church today, there are people in your house today that need your touch that need your help, that need something done in their life, what only you can do for them. So God, I pray today that you would meet needs here. God, I pray that your sons and your daughters, us, I pray that we would feel your presence, that you would meet every need that is represented here in this place, and we believe that you are more than enough to do for us what only you can do for us in our lives today. Lord, we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, y'all. So we've been talking about um, Ephesians chapter 6. We've been talking about spiritual warfare. We've been talking about um, the armor of God. Several weeks ago, we talked about the uh, belt of truth, how that is God's word. We talked about the breastplate of righteousness, how that is um, our right living. It's Christ in us helping us live our life and make right decisions. We talked about the shoes of peace, which is the gospel um, of Jesus. Uh, we, last week, we talked about the shield of faith and how our faith is our confidence and that God is who he said he is and will do what he said he will do. So today, we're going to look at two more pieces of armor, uh, the last two pieces of armor, but it's not the last thing that Paul tells us to do to help fight the enemy. We'll do that next week. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6. Starting in verse 10 says this. I've read this the past couple of weeks. Some of you may have this memorized, which is great, um, but let's read it anyway. Starting in verse 10, Paul says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, against... Uh, I lost my spot. Against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So today we're going to look at two more pieces of armor 
We're going to look at first the helmet of salvation. The Roman soldier's helmet was made of iron, and it has the same purpose as what we would wear a helmet today, which would be to protect our what? Protect our head. We see football players wear helmets. If not, they would get knocked out in a heartbeat. We see construction workers wear helmets in case something, a big beam or something falls on their head. Um, We see other people in lines of work. Baseball players wear helmets when they're batting, so the the ball hits them in the head. The helmet protects their head. The Roman soldier's helmet was there for that that main purpose, to protect their head, to protect their brain. Our spiritual helmet is no different. It's here to protect our head. What's in our head? Our mind. The helmet of salvation is here to protect our mind. Paul knew that when the enemy attacks, the only attack he can give you, the only power that the enemy has in your life is through your mind. Right? Because Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave through his resurrection, Satan has no power on us. The only thing he can do, we see it time and time again through Scripture, is he can lie to you. He can deceive you. He can make you believe what he wants you to believe. He will get you. He will speak to your mind. He will pull you away from the truth of the Lord, and he will get you to believe his lies. That is what the helmet of salvation protects us from. It protects our mind from the enemy's lies and his deceivement. Uh, Now, if you were with us back during uh, July and August, we took six weeks and we talked about our thought life. We talked about our mind. We talked about things like defeating strongholds in our mind. We talked about things like making an adjustment in the way we we think and how we adjust our thinking. Remember, we talked about uh, neuropathways. When we think a thought in our mind, a neuropathway is created in our brain. Then when you think that thought again, it creates another neuropathway, and it gets deeper and deeper. That's why you have the same thoughts and the same reactions when you see the same thing over and over. It's because it's a neuropathway that is created in your mind every time you have a thought and the way you correct that is you have to take out that negative thought that unchristlike thought and replace it with a biblical christ-like thought and then guess what that creates a new pathway in your mind and the more you think about the lord the more the lord comes out in your life we talked about things like uh dealing with regret and dealing with discouragement we talked about things like how to reframe our past how we can go back in our past and change the way we think about things that have happened to us how we can even though we were in the valley and we were in a terrible season of our life we can still think about God's goodness even during that struggle. And then we talked about how to replace fear with praise and how those two things, butt heads, are at the complete opposite ends of the spectrum and how there is no fear with the Lord, but there's only praise God for who he is and for what he has done for us. So we're not going to go back over that today. Cool? Some of you are like, great. I didn't like it the first time. I definitely don't want to hear it again. Um, We're not going to go back over that today, but I do want to stress one thing to you. The thought life leads the life. Whatever is here comes out here. Junk up here leads to junk out here, right? The enemy in here leads to the enemy out here. Christ-like thoughts lead to a Christ-like life. The brain, the mind is the control center for your life. Anything that you do, any action, any words that you say start up here. 
I read a story this week of a, a tattoo artist uh, was doing a report. He was opening a new tattoo store in some town, and so the newspaper was doing a, a like a little thing, whatever you call it, you know what I'm talking about, doing like a story on the new tattoo place. And the reporter asked the tattoo artist, said, why do you think people get tattoos? He said, because they have the tattoo on their mind. He said, whatever tattoo they want on their body first starts in their mind. And the same is true with everything in our life. Anything that happens in our life starts here. A godly thought life leads to a godly life. But that's not what we're talking about today. We want to look at the second part of the helmet of salvation. And I want to take a few minutes to talk about the salvation part of the helmet of salvation. I hope you know this morning there is nothing, absolutely nothing, more important today than your salvation. Nothing. Everything else is fluff. Everything else is extra. Everything else is a bonus. There is nothing more important today than you being in a right relationship with the Lord through repentance for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. There is nothing more important. There's a great story in Mark chapter 2, one of my favorite biblical stories, one of my favorite Bible stories. The story of Mark chapter 2, Jesus was in a house full of people, and he was in there preaching and teaching and telling people about, about the good news, telling them about his father. And there was a, a paralyzed guy outside, and he wanted to get to Jesus because he heard all the stories. He knew that Jesus could be able to heal his legs. He knew that Jesus would be able to help him walk again. But because he paralyzed, he couldn't get there. So he had four of his friends come by. They put him on a mat. They picked him up. You know the story, right? They went to the house. House. There was no room in the house. They couldn't get into where Jesus was at. So what did they do? They climbed up on the roof. They took my man on the mat up on the roof. They cut a hole out in the ceiling. They lowered my man right in front of Jesus. And what was the first thing Jesus said to them? They wanted healing in their, their legs. They wanted physical healing. They wanted my man to be able to walk out the back door differently than he being carried in through the roof. And the very first thing that Jesus said to him was, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. Did Jesus get around to healing his legs? Yeah. But what was Jesus' priority? Salvation. Forgiveness. Does Jesus care about our physical well-being? No question he does. Is Jesus capable and able, able to take care of us physically? No question. But Jesus' top priority is your salvation, is the forgiveness of your sins through repentance. And I believe as a follower of Jesus, as a church of Jesus, of disciples and believers in Jesus Christ, that should be your individual top priority and that should be our collective top priority is the salvation of people who do not know Jesus today. I'm glad you're here. I want you to come here every single week. I want to see you. I want to talk to you. I want you to have a good time while you're here. I want you to make some new friends. I want you to give some high fives. I want you to get a good cup of coffee, the best coffee in Ashboro. I want you to get a donut. I want you to enjoy the music that we, that we sing. I want you to participate in the music, in the worship. We want you to do all of that stuff. But the most important reason that you are here this morning is for salvation. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. Everything else is just an added bonus. 
right? We talked last week, we sung that song, 10,000 Reasons, and I said, or Alex said, we really just have one reason is more than enough for us to praise God and for us to worship God. That one reason is salvation. The other 999,000 or 9,999 of 10,000 is added blessings. We're here for salvation. Jesus said himself, I come, I come to this place to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is here. Jesus came so that you can be forgiven. Jesus came so that I could be forgiven. Never forget that Jesus' top priority is your salvation, is your forgiveness through repentance of your sins. So let's talk about salvation real quickly. In Scripture, there are three tenses of salvation. Three tenses. I was going to say three types of salvation, but that's not true. There's only one type of salvation. There's three tenses, like a past, present, and future type thing. You know what I'm saying? Does everybody follow? Give me a head nod if you follow. Sweet. I just want to make sure. Um, so there's three tenses. The first one is a past tense of salvation. Um, that is what these really smart, theological, churchy guys and girls, that's what they call justification, right? This is when we meet Jesus for the first time. This is when, the, 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 uh, when repentance enters our heart and we repent of our sin and our sins are forgiven and washed away and we have been forgiven of our sins. That is what justification means. The uh, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Um, notice the have been saved is a past tense. It's justification. It's in the past. It's when you met the Lord in the past. But here in Ephesians 6, when Paul talks about the helmet of salvation, that's not the salvation that he's talking about. That is not it. The second type of salvation is a future salvation. It's not justification in the past. It's a future salvation. It's what these theological boys and girls call glorification. That's when Jesus comes in the heavens and he calls us up calls us believers to be with him in heaven forever. That's what glorification is. 1 Peter 1 talks about a future salvation, a future saving that will happen in the last days. That is not what Paul meant here in Ephesians 6. What Paul's talking about in Ephesians 6 is the third type of salvation, and that's what the theological word is, called sanctification. You guys heard the word sanctification before? It's a big churchy word. You want me to give you a better, a better word for instead of sanctification? Nobody likes to say sanctification. Like people who say sanctification, they're just trying to make themselves smell, sound much smarter than what they really are. Let me tell you the, the, like the biblical example of sanctification. It's John the Baptist in John chapter 3 when John the Baptist says that he, meaning Jesus, he must become greater and I must become less, that's sanctification. That's God becoming more in your life and you becoming less in your life. That is your Christ-like decisions. That is you not being the same way you used to be before justification, before you met Christ to begin with. That is you being able to look back in your past life and say, man, I used to go here. I used to go over there. But now... I don't do those things because God has changed me. That's sanctification. It's not where we want to be because that's glorification and we'll get there in the future. But it's not where we used to be 
It's where God is working at us right now. It's where God is working at us. There should be some evidence in your life where you could look back in your life and say, man, remember when I used to think this? Remember when I used to go here? Remember when I used to talk about this? Remember when I rolled with those places and watched those things and said that stuff? I used to be that old person, but because of justification, because of forgiveness, because of repentance, now I am here. I'm not glorified. I'm not where I want to be yet. I don't have my future salvation when God calls us home to heaven, but I'm here and God is working on me here. God is doing a work in my life here. There should be evidence in your life today of how you used to be and where you're at now. I hope you can look back and say, man, look at all the work God has done in my life. Look at everything that the Lord has taught me. Look at the way that God has changed me. I hope there's evidence of salvation of sanctification, of justification in your life today. Mom and dads, there should be evidence of salvation that you have on the helmet of salvation in your home. Your kids should be able to tell their friends, my mom and dad have on their helmet of salvation. They should be able to see it. Your kids' friends, when they come over to your house, they should be able to tell you have on the helmet of salvation because of the way you act, because of the way you talk, because of the way you live, because of the way you love, because of the way you show grace and mercy and forgiveness to people, they should be able to tell that you have on the helmet of salvation. Your friends and co-workers at your job should be able to tell, there should see evidence of the helmet of salvation in your life. When you're at a sporting event, People there should be able to tell that you have the helmet of salvation on. If I am at another high school basketball game and see a parent lose their mind over a referee not calling or calling a foul, I'm going to lose my mind and will probably go to jail because I'm getting in a fight because they're dumb and I can't take it no more. Right? I have started coaching TJ's basketball team. We've had two practices. I've lost my salvation both times. <laughs> um, I got the parents together the first practice, and I told them this. I said, listen, y'all. Now, keep in mind, these are five, six, and seven-year-olds. Five, six, and seven. I told the parents. I said, listen, y'all. I said, I got three goals for your team, for our team. Three goals. Number one, I want your kid to have fun. I want your kid to enjoy coming to practice. I want them to wake up on Monday and Wednesday mornings and think, man, I can't wait till 7 o'clock tonight because we get to go to basketball practice. I can't wait. Number two is I want your kid to know something the last day of practice about basketball that they don't know today. I want them to be able to physically do something or know something about the game of basketball. I want them to be able to dribble better, shoot better, pass better, or at least know where to stand and know what the lines mean on the court at the end of practice, the last practice, that they don't know today. And number three, I want your kid to have so much fun playing basketball, they cannot wait to sign up and play next year. Notice, and I told these parents, I said, notice, there was not one word about scoring points. There's not one word about winning games. 
There's not one word about being undefeated, championships, all that garbage. It's five, six, and seven-year-old basketball. And I told the parents, I said, listen, if you're really worried about winning games, we need to make a trade. We need to get your kid on another team. We're not worried about winning games. We're worried about having a good time. We're worried about teaching basketball, and we want them to sign up and play next year. If I have one parent come to me, I'm going to lose my mind, y'all. It hasn't happened yet. I did have a little situation with a kid. Callie told me I could not do this. But she told me after I did it. There's one kid who's having a hard time listening. So I threatened to start popping bottoms right there in the gym. <laughs> Callie has worked in the school system for 13 years now, I guess. And she informed me, you can't tell kids that no more. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I told Callie, I said, you run your classroom the way you want to. I run my gym the way I want to. The best part of it, this kid's grandma sitting on the side. Her name's Ida, great lady. Ida was yelling out, pop it, pop it. I love Ida. Ida's in her 70s. She's going to be my new assistant coach. <laughs> I'm putting her on the bench, giving her a shirt. It's great. While all that basketball stuff is cool, right, there should be evidence in my life to those kids and to their parents that I have on the helmet of salvation. They should be able to see something different about Michael. They should be able to hear it in the way I talk. They should be able to see it in the way I treat their kids. They should be able to see it in the way I treat their parents. Because basketball is not the top priority in life. Salvation is the top priority in life. There should be evidence of salvation in your life when you're standing in line. Maybe at the DMV. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't know. <laughs> there may not be a more ungodly place than the Department of Motor Vehicles. I have probably said more bad words in my mind at the DMV than any, well, other than watching a Duke game, but... My point is this, salvation is point 1A, like that's it. Everything else is a bonus, everything else is a plus, everything else is just an extra blessing of God. And when we have on our helmet of salvation, there should be evidence in our life for people to see. We have been saved, we have been forgiven, we have been justified. We will be saved in the future, and today, the Lord is still saving today. He's still speaking to my heart. He's still moving in my life. He's still calling me to repentance. He's still making me better than I was yesterday. I'm not as good as I will be tomorrow, but man, praise God, I am better than I was yesterday. He is still sanctifying and becoming more and more in my life as I become less and less. Paul says to put on your helmet of salvation. How does the helmet of salvation help us fight against the enemy? Easy. Remember before justification, 
Remember that time in your life before you met the Lord? That's where the enemy hangs out. Now that I've been justified, now that I'm with the Lord, now that I've been forgiven, now that I've been redeemed, now that I've been saved, now that the Lord is working in my life day after day after day, I don't go to those same places because that's where the enemy is most prevalent in my life. I don't hang around those same people because that's when the enemy is most prevalent in my life. I don't say those same words that I used to say because that is when the enemy can attack my life because that's where he hangs out. So the Lord protects me through my salvation because I'm not that same person. I don't do those same things. I have been justified and the Lord is still working on me today because we put on our helmet of salvation. It helps protect us from the enemy. After the helmet of salvation, Paul calls us to pick up the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Paul says that the sword of the Spirit is what? Thanks, Anthony. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Notice that the sword is an offensive weapon. It's an offensive weapon in the Roman soldier's armor. Everything else protects. The sword Not just the word of God, but the sword attacks. The sword can you be used to defend. Amen? You see it in movies when they're having sword fights? They can be used to defend. But the sword is used to attack. So how do we attack when the enemy attacks us? We attack with the word of God. The only offensive weapon that we need today to attack the enemy is found right here in this very book. You don't need anything else. The belt protects. The breastplate protects. The shoes protect. The helmet protects. The shield protects. This attacks. This goes on the offensive. This slices and dices. This will run off the enemy. This will tear the enemy down. This will get the enemy off your back. And it's simply the word of God. Now, in the New Testament, when you study the New Testament, you will see there are three different words used for the word in the word. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? There's three different words used for God's word in God's word. Everybody follow? Let's talk about those three things real quickly. Number one is the word graphe. Everybody say graphe. Say it again. Say it louder. There you go. The first word is the word graphe. The word graphe simply means the written word of God. It really means, the Greek word really means the ink on the page. So this right here is graphe. Does that make sense? You probably have a graphe at your house. Does anybody have a graphe with them this morning? Hold it up. Let me see it. There's one, one graphe, two graphes, three graphes. That's not graphe. <laughs> TJ's holding up a notebook. That's graphe. Yes. This is graphe. The ink on the page, the actual words. Graphe. This is it. 
You have graffiti at your house. You may keep graffiti at your car. You go to a hotel room. You see graffiti in the dresser, in the nightstand. You may have a graffiti at your nightstand beside your bed. This is graffiti. Graffiti is great. Amen? Graffiti is really good. The written word of God, the ink on the page, this book is amazing. However, graffiti does nothing for you. Right? This book, the ink on this page, does nothing for me. Lots of times we can believe that if we have graphite close to us, we'll be blessed. No, we won't. If we keep graphite with us all the time, we'll be blessed. No, 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 no. Because graphite is the ink on the page. It's the, it's the lead out of the pencil written down. Graphite is really good, but graphite does nothing for you. The second word used for the word in the word is the word logos. Say logos. L-O-G-O-S, Logos. It looks like logos, but it's not. It's Logos. Logos is when the graphe changes your life. It's when the graphe becomes real to you. It's when the graphe gets into your heart and into your life. It's a step further than just graphe. Graphe is the words. Logos is when these words not on the page, but they're in my heart. The Psalms call us to what? Put the Word of God in our hearts. When the Word leaves the page and starts to impact my life, that's Logos. That's when, that's when we no longer do what we used to do because of what God has said to us and because of the Word of God. When God's Word changes our life, that's Logos. Have you ever been reading your word or maybe you've been listening to a message or maybe you've been here one Sunday morning and you thought, man, Michael spoke or I just read the exact words that I needed to hear for what I'm going through right at that moment. Have You ever been there? Can I just tell you that's got nothing to do with me or any other preacher that was preaching? And if you ever hear a preacher take credit for that, you slap him in the face and find a different church to go to, okay? That is the Lord. That's Logos. That's the Word doing something in your life that it can only do no matter who's preaching, no matter what you're listening to. That's God doing a work that only God can do. That's Logos. The third word used in Scripture, for Scripture, for the word, um, is the word rima. Say rima. Say it louder. Rima is not graphe. Rima is not logos. But rima is the spoken word of God to you, for you, and from you. You follow? Graphe, Logos, Rima. Rima is the spoken word of God to you from somebody else, like me, for you so it can impact your life, and from you. Now you may be thinking this morning, what do you mean from me? I don't preach. I work at the restaurant. I don't preach. Like, what do you mean, spoken word from me? What, did, what, what does that mean? I want to challenge you this morning that once you have the graphe 
And once you read graphe and it becomes logos, the only thing left to do for logos is to rima it, is to speak it. The way that the sword becomes an offensive weapon, the way that the word of God becomes an offensive weapon against the enemy in your life is when you speak it. It's when you start declaring the word of the Lord in your life. You may be thinking, that's not me. I don't preach. That's what we pay you for. And I thank you for that. Thank you so much. Can I share with you real quickly? If you're in here and you believe in the Lord, you follow the Lord, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, you've been saved, say amen. Amen. You're a minister as well. God calls you to minister as well. God calls you to do everything that God calls me, except I get called to do it in front of all of you on Sundays. You're called to love people just like me. You're called to serve people just like me. You're called to declare the word of the Lord to people just like me. The only difference is I do it in front of you on Sunday mornings. I need you. The Lord wants you. The Word calls you. The Word compels you. Logos, the Word in your heart, compels you to rima, to declare God's Word in your life and in the people's lives around you. That's how God's Word can be used as a weapon. That's how God's Word can be used as a sword to take out the enemy, to make the enemy flee, to tear down any attacks he's trying to put on you. It's when we declare the Word of the Lord. I had a text conversation two weeks ago, last week, sometime last week. A lady that I know was texting me, wanting me to pray for her because she was going through some stuff. I said, you got it. And she was going through some stuff that I didn't know anything about. I've never went through it. I don't know what to tell her to do. I would love to give her a five-step you know, process, do A, B, C, D, and E, and it would be wonderful for you. It would help you out. Guess what? I don't know. What I did know is this. I can declare the word of the Lord to her. I may not know anything else I can help her. But I can share God's word to her. I said, let me tell you something. I said, don't you forget, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I don't care what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're facing. I may not be able to give you a five-step process to help you out, but what I can do is I can rema. I can declare God's word in your life. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. One of my favorite parts of being a parent um, is the, I get to say the words and make the statement because I, those are parents that are talking. <laughs> they know what's up. Because I said so. Thank you. So uh, I have the uh, ability as a dad to tell TJ, go to your room. Why? Because I said so. That's why. I don't need another reason. I just need you to do what I'm telling you to do because I said so. Maybe me and mom need to talk about Christmas presents. Go to your room. Dad, I'm not ready. Because I said so. Maybe me and mom want to go to a movie. Kid, you're going to grandma and grandpa's house. Why? Because I said so. Right? We don't need another reason. Because I said so. I love declaring <laughs> because I said so. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like a king. 
He's the king of my castle. And then Callie comes in. She says, you need to get the dishes out of the dishwasher. Why? Because I said so. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. I got you. I get it. I get it. Uh, I think if we can take on that characteristic, if we can take on that same attitude in our Christ-like life and tell ourselves, not because we said so, but if we can declare the word of God in our life because God said so, maybe this morning you're facing a tough situation, you're in a valley, you're going through a season of life where you need the word of the Lord declared in your life, you need some offensive weapons to fight the enemy's attacks in your life, can I encourage you to start declaring, to start speaking vocally out of your throat, through your mouth, out of your mouth, start declaring God's word. Maybe for you this morning, you need to start declaring, I am more than a conqueror because God said so. Maybe you need to start declaring in your life, I, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because God said so. Maybe the enemy's attacking your life today, attacking your identity, attacking who you are, making you feel like you're not a son or a daughter of Jesus. Maybe you need to attack the enemy with God's word and say, I am blessed, I am holy, I am forgiven, I am victorious, I am healed, I am set free, I am made brand new, I have been given a second chance, not because I said so, but because God says so because his word said so once the graphe gets into your heart it becomes logos then the enemy starts attacking guess what if you don't have the logos attack you because he don't care about you because you ain't doing nothing against him but once the graphe becomes logos the enemy will jump on you and attack you and that's where my friends rima comes out That's where we start attacking back. That's where we pull out our sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we take God's Word on the offensive, and we declare it. I am who God says I am. I can do what God said I could do. We declare God's Word. God's Word is Rima. It's the declaration. It's the spoken Word of God to you, for you, and from you. You follow? It's to you. It's for you. And it's from you. As we close. What time is it? 10.55. Perfect. I want to give you three things real quickly. Basic, basic things of how you can apply the word of God in your life. Listen, we can sit here for another five minutes and I can talk to you about Graphe and Logos and Rima, and it would be great. But if we leave Graphe on our bookshelves at home, it does us no good. If Graphe never becomes Logos, guess what? Does us no good. So if you have a struggle in your life reading God's Word, I want to give you three things that can help you out, that you can take home with you, that you can apply real quickly in your life today. So that Rima, so that Graphe can become Logos, and so that Logos can become Rima, and you, 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 yes, you can declare God's word 
in your life and into somebody else's life where the enemy's attacking. Is that cool? Sweet. Number one, number one, if you struggle reading, reading God's word, I want to encourage you to set a time. To set a time. Schedule your reading with God's word. My guess is if you had a cardiologist appointment at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, you would not miss that appointment for nothing. Correct? Can I encourage you to have that same attitude with God's word? To set a time. Maybe for you, there are times in the morning. Anybody a morning person around here? Pat put her hand up and put it back down. She's like, no, I don't think so. Uh, it depends on what happened the night before. <laughs> right? Like, uh. Uh, I'm not a morning person. I can't read the word in the morning because I'd fall back asleep. Like when I wake up in the mornings, I, it, like I want to lay around for like 30 minutes and like have time to wake up before I get up. However, I usually have a seven-year-old jumping on top of me wanting to play his Nintendo at 6.30 in the morning. Ooh. So my time to read the word is not in the mornings. It'd do me no good. I wouldn't know what I was reading. I would be reading the graphe and it would never turn into Logos. It would stay graphe because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a clue what's happening. My time to read is after lunch. I read after lunch. Instead of taking a nap like you want to do, like you're tempted to do after lunch, I replace that take a nap after lunch with the word. That's my time to read. I schedule it every day after lunch is when I read the word. The second thing that's important for us to do is not only to set a time, but to set a place. To set a place. Have a place in your life, a place in your home, a place at your office, a place in your car where that's your word time, where that's the time that you go to at your scheduled meeting with the Lord, and you set that place. I have two places. Number one is my office over there. One, because nobody ever comes by here pretty much, and I'm there by myself, and I kind of love it. It's great. That don't mean you can't come and visit. Come on, I'm here all day, every day. Come by and visit. Robert's come by and hung out for a little, some, some before. We have a good time. Come by and visit. But I'm there in my office, and I read the word. My second place is my recliner at my house. Everybody, does everybody have like your own chair in your house? Is that, is that a thing or is it just in our house? Like you don't have a chair, Chelsea? You don't have like your chair? I understand. Yeah, so I have my chair. Uh, Callie and TJ has the couch. Our dog Reggie also has the couch. Reggie will go wherever the blanket's at because he will get under the blanket and you won't even know he's there unless you sit on him. Um, but that's their spot. My chair is my chair, right? When I'm here during the days, that's my place to read the Word. When I'm at home at nighttime, when Callie and TJ and Anna Lee are all asleep, sometimes it may be 12, 12.30, 1, even in the 1.30, I'm sitting in my chair reading the Word. That's my place. That's my time. I set that time. I set that place, and that's where I read the Word. And number three, um, I want to encourage you to get a notebook. When you read the Word, get you a notebook. And some of you may be thinking, you're talking like keeping a journal? Yes. <laughs> but not the kind of journal where you write down all the things you love, and you write down that boy's name and put hearts around it and tell him how much you love him, and then two weeks later you rip that page out because you don't love that boy no more. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you don't and you have young kids, you will. Trust me. Just wait. Uh, I'm talking about getting you a notebook, and you write down what you just read. Maybe you read a chapter. Maybe you read two chapters. Maybe you read three chapters. Whatever it is, write down a summary of what happened. 
write down a summary of what you just read. That's how the word becomes logos. That's how it goes from graphe to logos. Write down what it says. Then write down what it means for you. Maybe you read a story about Jesus forgiving somebody's sins. What does that mean to you? How can you apply that? What attitudes can you learn? What actions can you learn from there? Write that stuff down. And then write down maybe any questions that you have. Surely when you read the Word, you have questions. If not, you're a lot smarter than I am, and I need to take my questions to you. Because I have questions all the time. Write down the questions. And then when you get around people that read the Word, you can talk about the questions. You can look them up online. You can do a little Google search to find out the answer to your question. You can ask somebody here. Don't ask me. I may not know. Ask Alex. She knows all that stuff. She's a genius. Write down the questions that you may have while you're reading. All of these things turns your Bible reading time into life-changing time. Amen? That's how the word goes from graphe to logos. It will change your life. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 35, he says, all these things will pass away. What does the word all mean? All. Everything, right? Jesus says all these things will pass away. But my words will never pass away. Can I encourage you today? To pick up your sword of the Spirit. To pick up the offensive weapon that we have available to us. Where we can attack the enemy while he's attacking us. To pick up the only undefeated weapon that has never lost a match and an attack and a battle in its life. Pick up God's Word. The only thing in life that will never pass away. And allow that graphe to become Logos and change your life. And allow that Logos to become Rima when you declare the Logos, you declare the graphe in your life. There's no other weapon that you can pick up that can run off the enemy. There's no self-help book that you can pick up that can teach you how to get away from the enemy, how to attack the enemy back. Because all of that stuff fades away. Only the word of the Lord will last forever. Amen? Let's stand together.